Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Michelle Feaster. Michelle is the co-founder and CEO of UserMind, where she is responsible for company vision, strategic direction, planning, and execution. Michelle's enterprise software career spans almost 20 years with roles ranging from sales, product, strategic marketing, and general management. Before founding UserMind, Michelle was VP of products at Actio, where she drove product strategy, defined the category and discipline of technology business management, and helped grow the company from 30 to almost 400 employees. Michelle led the acquisition of Opsware by HP Software for $1.6 billion, managed the combined Opsware, Radia, and AppIQ product teams, and defined the service automation category. She also spent almost eight years at Mercury Interactive, learning how to build world-class products like LoadRunner and Quality Center, which made customers' lives better. She aspires to do the same at UserMind. Welcome, Michelle. Good to see you. Oh, thank you, Shauna. I feel very important after that wonderful <laughs> Isn't it funny and, when people read your bio? <laughs> I know. I'm reading it. I'm like, we got product, we got strategy, we got marketing. Whoa. She's Whoa. a she's I the didn't... full the full the full ninja girl. Yeah, I had no idea it was that important until you yeah. read. Yeah, <laughs> you are you are, you are now. Cheers. This is rapid fire, so I'm gonna okay. hit, I'm gonna hit you hard with this one. Are you ready? No, yeah. Okay. If you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, if I could have any one superpower, seeing the future. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yeah. is something? Do you remember that... from like Twilight that chick in Twilight who saw the future? Yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that would be mine. Okay. Um, what is something that you have read, listened to, or watched that has most inspired you over the past year? Ooh. Um, well, I'm a huge Glennon Doyle Melton fan, uh, and I read Untamed and just thought it was such an incredible book. Um, you know, this idea that we kind of buy into society's expectations of us and kind of don't really live into our full power in general as humans. I thought it was a, you know, I've read all of her books, but um, I was really affected by that, you know, whatever I read it, I guess, six or eight months ago. Yeah. I read it around the same time and I have turned so many friends onto it and they all have the same response. It's an incredible, she's got such a gift with words. I'm like, that's exactly, but somehow the way that she wordsmiths is incredible. And her, her whole notion, first the sinking, then the rising that like, loss and pain are what create the ground for growth and that that's a normal human condition and that we all feel like life shouldn't be that way, but really that's the human condition. It's just, yeah. a, it's a gift. Yeah. Anyway. She is, she is incredible. What would you do if you had an extra hour in the day? Oh, work out more, hike more. Oh, I see her. Uh, is that a treadmill behind you? Yeah. Uh, that's my Peloton tread. And then my Peloton. You have the Peloton tread. I love it. Oh God, I'm dying. I don't have the physical space for it, but I do my Peloton. I'm going to follow you. Yeah, I love it. Oh yeah, you should totally follow me. Yeah, I've been oh. doing Peloton for three years. I got it when I went, I uh, decided I was going to climb Kilimanjaro. And so I thought I better, I don't, I, my whole inspiration, by the way, Shauna was like, I don't want to be the last one. In the totally. You know, if there's 10 of us, I don't want to be number 10. I like five. I'll be right yeah. in the middle of the pack. Yeah. 
Uh, and so uh, I was, I was, I was like third up the mountain. So the Peloton served its purpose, but um, I love the tread. I I'm climbing Rainier and Baker next year. And so I want oh, good for option. you. Yeah. To train indoors in the winter and not be quite so cold. And miserable. we need to, we need to get you a, uh, a, a, wear, wear, a weighted vest. Yeah. You have I one have. of those. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's what I do when I go on long, long hikes and I yeah. wear my weighted vest and I feel yeah. kind of badass. Yeah, 20 to 30 um, pounds is my norm. Oh, God, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, what is a habit that you are trying to create? Ooh, what is a habit I'm trying to create? Meditating before I sleep. Yeah, that's awesome. I just started about six months ago. I've been saying it for like 10 years, but yeah. I do it when I wake up, actually. Um, oh, yeah. And I just do the 10 minute. Yeah, like, I, easy I use, peasy. Uh, I use Insight Timer. I actually like, I tried Headspace, but I can't really do guided, uh, you know, unguided meditation. My mind races too much. So I like guided meditations and it just, Mm -hmm. it's just such a helpful way to like get in touch with your breath, be more present, you know, deal with anxiety. It's uh, so I've been definitely working on that. Um, What would people be surprised to learn about you? Oh, probably that I'm i I'm very sentimental. I'm kind of a big softy. So if you like are in my family, I remember all of the like dates and I surprised my sister with thoughtful gifts. And um, it's always surprising the people who meet me in business and see the more serious kind of focus side to me. But, you know, I think life is just all about people and between people you love, it's really all about memories. And so yeah, I'm kind of hugely sentimental and a softy in my personal life. I think people would find that quite surprising. Yeah. I don't know why. And I, I do feel like I have a little bit of a gift of reading people and I don't even hardly know you, mm-hmm. but I, I'm actually not surprised to hear that. No, like okay. you do have a very, cause you have a very warm, like relational personality. And I can imagine mm-hmm. your inner circle feels lucky. Like you're, you're probably that person is my mm-hmm. guess. Um, okay. Well, this is the perfect question. Then next, what's the best gift that you've ever received? Well, what's the best gift I've ever received? Um, that's actually a great question. Or it could be it could be the best gift you've ever given if you're not receiving. You're just a giver. I mean, no, I mean, I love you know anything thoughtful. You know, people who know me. I mean, I would say I've been really touched. I've, I'm a cook, so I have friends who've given me cookbooks. That's been super sweet. I'm a boxing fan. I have friends who've given me like tickets to fights or. Uh, you know, pictures of fighters. Um, I think it's anything where, you know, it's like, you know me well enough to know it's something I like, and you kind of went out of your way to make it happen for me. Um, And that could be little, you know, flowers, or it could be, you know, my sister will come and work in my garden and plant things for me because she loves me. So it's, I don't know, it's like those sweet things where people think of you and either it's a perfect gesture, or they're doing something to like, take care of you. Um, yeah. My sister prunes my plants when she comes uh-huh. here. <laughs> you guys aren't going to get to see my house, but uh, you know, I never prune my plants. I'm just not yeah. that person. So yeah, I, don't know, I guess it's just those like thoughtful things that you either wouldn't do yourself that someone does for you or that gift, which just shows they know you really well. And they took yeah. time to think about it. Yeah, exactly. They put some, some effort yeah. in. Okay. Yeah. Final question. Um, describe your life using one word. Oh my God. Um, tough one blessed i'm very blessed yeah well i'm i'm super excited to dig into your childhood because when we talked a little bit just kind of prepping for this and i got to know you a little bit i was so excited for this podcast um because you know after doing over 100 of them i've got people who are like i lived kind of the average you know suburban upbringing Mm -hmm. other people who are like i immigrated with you know ten dollars and not speaking a word of english and everybody's just got such rich upbringings that i think create 
the person that we're meeting today. Totally. Um, so where did you grow up? <laughs> well, I was born in Florida, but grew up in New England. I kind of was in Providence and in New England from eight to 30. Um, and my, my parents are interesting. Uh, my mom is an immigrant from um, Germany, and she actually came to America not speaking a word of English, learned it on the television. And, you know, her, she was a child in Germany, basically post-war. Um, she had, you know, a challenging childhood and actually sued for independence in the courts, if you can believe it. She was that strong. Wow. And worked worked as a maid in her later uh, high school years, and then uh, they the family sent her to college. And so imagine the amount of like determination and willpower and work ethic and kind of force of will. That's my mom. Yeah. Um, and so she made her way here and met my father in Florida. And my father is uh, he's an English professor, and he's uh, he's really an artist and kind of a I would say like an incredibly sensitive soul. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I think I got, you know, my, my urge for creativity came from my father, uh, you know, the fact that I've ended up in product and kind of building things that don't exist, you know, I don't paint, but I, I guess I paint and create through software. And then I think, you know, my kind of work ethic and ambition and drive came from my mother. Yeah. Um, but so they were, they were like incredibly intelligent, interesting parents who gave me the gift of reading and words and. Um, you know, they divorced when I was eight and uh, my, my mother brought us up to New England. And so I guess I grew up kind of a scrappy kid in New England um, uh, in Providence. And I remember when I was, I remember being in sixth grade and kind of making the decision that I was going to work really hard and get into Harvard and get straight A's and get a great job and like get my family to financial security. Because, wow. You know, Wait, what grade, how old were you during this fifth grade? I was grade? in sixth grade. Yeah, oh, I had this like, master plan that I was going to, you know, help help my, you know, because both my parents, you know, when they divorced, it's like a lot to, you know, my mom was raising two kids on a nurse's salary. You know, my dad's a teacher. And so, you know, we, I think we, we didn't grow up certainly, you know, poverty line, but we, we certainly weren't wealthy. And I think I just had this uh, kind of desire to like, you know, my goal to go to school was very much to create security for my family. Mm -hmm. So, so wealth, wealth, for, wealth for the sake of security, not because you were trying to like, well, wait, the kid next to me has like yeah, the, new, totally. the new shoes and I don't totally more like, yeah. I want the feeling of like being wrapped around something that feels secure. Yeah. And you know, my mother, it's funny, she was a nurse for a lot of my childhood. And then she decided she didn't, she hated nursing. She wanted to, uh, do something else. And so when we moved to Rhode Island, we bought an old house and renovated it. And she went into construction. And so kind of from when I was, I guess, 12 to basically through high school, I worked for her and learned how to renovate houses. And, oh, so cool. Yeah. Gained a lot of appreciation for kind of working with your hands and um, such a confidence booster too, to yeah. be able to, to create like that. Yeah. To know how to do it. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think I just, my parents gave me so many you know, incredible gifts. Did you know in like sixth grade when you're talking about, I just got to get to the next mm -hmm. level. I got to go to Harvard. Like, did mm -hmm. you know that you were smart? Um, I mean, I probably, yes. I mean, I was always kind of in gifted programs and um, that's my mom. And I got that from my mother. Um, yeah. Where school, yeah. you're one of those kids like school's just easy and I can kind of show up or you worked really hard also. I worked really hard I and mean, I loved school. You know, I, uh, I loved history. History is my favorite. I thought like looking at patterns of history creates meaning in the present. Um, so, and that's kind of how my brain works. I'm very much a, I look for patterns in data, which is probably why I'm a good product manager um, or a good product person. But 
Um, you know, I was always that kid, which is, you know, I guess it is rare. I used to be able to read textbooks and tell you what was on the next page. So if it was chemistry or math, I could do the equations and help the math, the professor. And my mind has always worked very, um, I'm not a visual thinker. I'm very much an abstract thinker. So yeah, I think I definitely, but I feel like, you know, where I grew up being a nerd wasn't a plus, you know, I wasn't, uh, I think it was, it created a lot of social challenges. So there was, there was beauty to it. You know, it, it really unlocked my life path. You know, I think if I didn't have the kind of intellect I have and, you know, the ability I've gotten a bunch of like unconventional breaks in my life that led me into tech and have kind of led me to where I am. So I think my, you know, my intellect has paid off, but man, at the time in high school, I was just that kid. I was like, I don't know why I don't fit in. And, you know, I'm, I'm shy and I'm nervous to like do all these things. So, you know, I think, uh, now, you know, I've had to learn that, right? There's no way to be a founder and CEO without learning how to, like all the time I deal with people I don't even know. But yeah, uh, so I think my life has kind of given me the opportunity to break through some of that fear I felt. Right. You know, I did you have any, did you have any teachers or anyone that you looked up to or that helped mentor you to get you to that next level of confidence? You know, I have, I have one teacher when I was in the fifth grade, I broke my wrist and uh, uh, fell out of a tree. And my teacher's name was Miss Cavis Mitson. And she, she was incredible. She, I just remember she was like beautiful. She was a, his, she was like our all day teacher, you know, and she, back when you like had an all day teacher as opposed mm-hmm. to like subject teachers. Yeah. And uh, she taught me to play chess because I couldn't go out into the, couldn't, couldn't go do recess. So she would play chess with me. And she was the one, she wrote me a note and I've kept it my whole life saying, you know, you can be anything, an astronaut, a president, whatever you want to be, put your mind to it. And so she, she gave me the gift of acceptance, you know, and really like telling me this is a special thing. And it's funny, obviously much later in life, I met, you know, Ben Horowitz, who's become my mentor. And, you know, he, I feel like he gave me a lot of the same things, right? Seeing my strengths, seeing my flaws. You know, he once said to me, Michelle, some people look at you and see your flaws. I look at you and see your beauty. Oh, what a gift. Oh my gosh. Right. So, so what ended up happening? I know because yes. I've obviously researched that you ended yes. up getting into Harvard. Like, was <laughs> that, I mean, was that just like, well, I'm going to manifest this and work my ass off. And cause that's just the 1% of 1% of 1%. I mean, it's so, now I've got a kid applying to college right now. So yeah. it's yeah. hard to get in there. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I had good, great grades. I was second in my class. Um, but you know, I, I always, I mean, this is, this is how my mind works. I basically thought to my, this is how I did my application for Harvard. I thought, what does Harvard university think that they are? And I thought they think that they are a Renaissance place and they want to, the people they want to accept, they want to create a community of Renaissance people. And so like, do they want you to be, to apply and be, um, you know, just a nerd or like, is there ideal person they want to let in? Uh, you know, a scholar and an artist and a, you know, whatever. And so I kind of wrote my, my whole application was about being a modern day Renaissance person and how I like work with my hands and my work and my intellect at school. And, you know, I had these dreams of, I I got a scholarship uh, from the Marine Corps to go into the military and how that was a passion of mine. And so I honestly, I, you know, I don't know, you can't tell, but I, I think I just basically sent the perfect application in. Like for every application I did, by the way, I thought, what does this college think they are and who do they want to yeah. have? And how do I be that? How do I position that? Uh, yeah. And I, like it's the same skill set now. I'm just in enterprise software. So where, where else were you looking besides Harvard? And, and in the end, yeah. was it the right choice for you? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I, so I, I applied to Harvard. I applied to MIT. I applied to Columbia. And I applied to the Naval Academy. 
Uh, I really wanted to go in the military, actually. Um, but my dad, my dad's an objector to the Vietnam War. My mother's a pacifist, and they were like horrified. Um, why and, did you Why did you want to go to the military? Uh, well, I mean, at heart, I always I love strategy. You know, I grew up studying military history, and um, I'm just super passionate about it. I actually think most of software is basically strategy, uh, and um, I just, I thought it was noble. You know, I wanted to, I would have loved to like put my mind to the service of my country. I admire people like Petraeus and Mattis. Um, and I think that would have been a good, probably a good life for me, except that, uh, so I got a scholarship, by the way. I got a scholarship into Harvard. I got a scholarship from the Marine Corps. My, my, I, uh, my parents were like, they wanted me to go to Harvard and said, just take the ROTC scholarship. Like, don't go to the military academy. Um, in retrospect, I probably should have gone to the military academy or, or maybe Columbia but, you know, life is just what it is. Um, but I, I am glad that to some extent that they talked me out of the military academy, because when I did ROTC, you know, it was before women could really um, serve. You know, today it's very, very different. And I don't think I would have been happy uh, in a secondary role. That's kind of not my uh, style. I think if I if I could join now, you know, and be a battlefield commander, that would have been my path. But wow. Yeah, that's, that's so badass. Wanted. That's <laughs> Well, that's so badass. So um, what gave you the confidence? I know that in our in our conversation before this, that you ended up leaving. Yeah. Harvard. What gave you that confidence to do that? And, and why? I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, for better or for worse, I'm bullheaded. And uh, <laughs> I trust my own judgment. I mean, it's I've done it throughout my whole life. Um, I just didn't feel it was the place for me, you know, um, my, I moved there and my freshman year, there was a princess in my dorm. And, you know, I was in a, I was in a, a five person shared suite and one of my roommates didn't want to be in a shared suite. She wanted a single. So her dad wrote a check. He was an oil man and she got a single right away. And I just, you know, Harvard's a great place. So I'm there for many, many people for whom that would have been the perfect like choice and opportunity. And so I'm not in any way, you know, trying to knock Harvard, but you know, for a little shy kid kind of from the sticks who, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't like politics. I don't like bullshit. I'm like very into authenticity. My experience of it was that it was a place of a lot of people pursuing outward goals. Like I want to pad my resume. I want to be a doctor, not because they really wanted any of those things, but because they thought those were the things they should do. Um, and so a little bit, I had like an intellectual rejection of it. And a little bit of it was just, I was so painfully shy that I think it was hard. Like it wasn't the right setup for me to be successful, but mm -hmm. the best thing I ever did that I left, I mean, I left, I moved home. My mother was like, you know, you have to pay rent, get a job. <laughs> and so I went and worked at a convenience store, if you can believe it, originally doing overnights for like four seventy-five an hour. What, what were they selling? <laughs> I mean, it was a gas station, like Literally. a shop station. I, I was like, you know, taking the gas bills and selling Diet Cokes and cigarettes. and Wow. And um, was that a moment, like a very clear, because based on how you're describing yourself, and I've always wanted to be more like someone like you, I, mm -hmm. I do trust my gut, but I tend to um, get every, everyone else's like input too, mm -hmm. before I can actually make any sort of big decision, like leaving Harvard or something yeah. like that. Um when you were working at the convenience store, was there a part of you that was like, what has happened to my life? Or was it very clearly like, this is what I'm doing in this moment until I do this next thing? Um, I am, I have never been a person of regret. <laughs> so no, I never really thought, you know, I should have stayed there. I knew in deeply that that was not the place for me. Not, not regretting leaving Harvard, but more yeah. like, is this my destiny? Where, where do I go um, from here? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. So I ended up, I worked nights, then I worked days, then I managed that store, then I managed a bunch of them. So I was kind of just organically kind of like letting my life unfold. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I look, I think all of us, you know, maybe early twenties are like a time of angst. They were for me. I was like, what is the meaning of my life? You totally. know? And, and what do I, do I want my life to be about, you know, like being wealthy or like, is it all about like working with my hands or like, well, yeah. I, I just had a lot of like high emotion in my life. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. I can relate to that. I moved to New York in my twenties and I say to everyone, cause I kind of was thinking maybe going to college there. And I'm like, yeah. I would have broken me at 18 because you yeah. go to New York and you're like, am I an uptown girl? Am I a downtown girl? <laughs> am I a partier? Am I a conservative girl? Like I yeah. was ever, and I actually went to a therapist who was like, you're all of those things. Yeah. And I was like, I yeah. actually like that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, because I so am I, all those things. <laughs> you know, it's honestly, I just like I think it gave me one. I mean, it gave me a lot of appreciation. I managed a lot of people. I hired a lot of people. I fired a lot of people, um, and it really taught me like that. Two things I think that I've lived my whole life really, really deeply believing. One is, I call it the books and covers principle of hiring. Is a lot of the people who show up and look perfect aren't the best hires, you know, so I'd get kids in high school, this is, you know, gas station. So like these like very handsome kids from high school who were terrible workers. And then people in their fifties who were, you know, kind of grizzled and had hard lives and they would work their ass off to have, and like care a lot about their quality of work. And so right. it taught me to hire for internals. Internals, like you can't change people's inner drive. The core things people bring as a person to the table are not you know, they're not that negotiable. You can manage and teach skill, but like drive, ambition, motivation, right. integrity, core. So that was a good learning. You know, the other thing I really uh, kind of realized is there for the grace of God go I. Like, I think so many people, I look around in my world and, you know, in tech, we're blessed and we're certainly in the 1%. And, you know, we have the freedom to like quit a job and have jobs tomorrow. I mean, yeah. you know, as a founder, but in general, like tech, being in my, in, in the world I've ended up in is an incredible, even incredible amount of autonomy and life freedom. And I just think that so many of us who succeed and have this like a financial security and success forget that like, but for a few turns in my life, uh, my life could be very, very different. And yes, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've worked really hard. Uh, some of it, like I didn't choose to be smart. I got lucky. Uh, and I have worked really, really hard in my life. And so I'm not minimizing, you know, the idea that we all do create our own destiny because I firmly believe that, but I'm just so deeply grateful that I think, uh, you know, there's so many amazing people I met in that time of my life who were like good people who worked so hard, who just didn't have some of the advantages I, I had, mm -hmm. you know, didn't have my smarts that I didn't do anything to earn um, or didn't have two educated parents like I had. Uh, and it's just given me so much appreciation maybe for um, kind of the breadth of lives that we all live and uh, I don't know, maybe a determination. Well, especially probably this past year. I know that for yeah. me, I feel more blessed than ever to be able to like, quote unquote, like make money behind a computer. Yeah, 100%. Like, we don't have to be like. No, on the front line. On the front we're not line. essential workers. We're, we're not essential workers. Yeah. Yes, I think people probably, are more aware more, than more ever. Of our livelihood get ended by, by the pandemic. Right. So. I don't know. I just, it just really gave me a humility and I needed that yeah. humility. Uh, yeah. 
uh, that I've tra- tried to take with me through my life. If I well, can. I'm sure it serves you very well as a CEO now of a thriving, you know, tech company. So how did you even break into tech from the convenience <laughs> store? I know you started out as a systems engineer, but how did you even know what that was? Oh, so my partner at the time, it's always how, you know, love changes your life. So of course. Uh, my partner at the time was an inside sales for a software company. And one of the ways she sold dev tools, um, tools to developers. And so she would read help wanted at various companies to see if they were using the tools that she could then like indicate that they might need her stuff. She calls me up at work one day and she says to me, Michelle, I found the perfect job for you. And it was this advertisement for a tech company called Compuware, which was a billion dollar mainframe company. The CEO, Pete Carmanos, owns the, the uh, Detroit Red Wings. So he's like a big success story in uh, Michigan. Uh, and this is the this is like 97s or uh, the boom, like there's not enough people in tech who know anything. And so they had this program called the PDP program, professional development program, where they fly you to Michigan for three months. They give you an apartment and a car. They teach you're in class literally for three months learning SQL and coding and all this stuff. And then you basically you, you kind of work for them. You commit to two years at a vastly reduced salary uh, to pay them back. And and like she said, the job description thinks on your feet like smart, good with people. She's like, Michelle, this is your perfect job description. And I never remember, I was sitting on the kitchen floor doing my first phone interview with them. And I swear to God, they probably only interviewed me because I had Harvard on my resume. Uh, but but well, they, it helps. I mean, it definitely helps. Right, it helps. But so they invited me to go, you know, um, do an interview. And I remember going there and interviewing. And part of it was a presentation. And I've, I'm, you know, I've always been good kind of on my feet. Um and, uh, and I got the job and, uh, it like, literally that was one of those one-way doors you walk through your whole life is just totally different on the other side. Um, and so they taught me how to code and how to, you know, build, build right SQL. And, you know, I'm not a developer, but I basically got, you know, technically dangerous through that process and yeah. got my job in pre-sales and moved back to new England. And, you know, my whole life has really been shaped by that opportunity that they gave. Oh, for sure. And it also has probably made you knowing like the origin of coding and how, even though you're not a developer, yeah. makes you such a uh, more fierce product person. Oh, I'm way more technical than people. Right? Give you could like, yeah, don't bullshit me. I actually know how these, yes. the mechanics of this yes. stuff. Yes. I have an allergic reaction to bullshit of any kind. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, or so, so because it's changed the trajectory, uh, tell me about some of the highlights of, of your career and, and, you know, I know that you mentioned Ben Horowitz. Yeah. Where did you intersect with him? What an incredible mentor. Yeah. So I worked at CompuWare for two years, super suit and tie place. I kind of knew I didn't fit in. It was really straight laced. And in case I, you haven't picked it up, but I'm not exactly like a rule follower or like the most hierarchical individual in the world. Uh, but I got lucky. I mean, I was, um, I was taking some deals. They gave me this testing product line and I was taking deals from the number one player in the market and they headhunted me. And, uh, and so I joined a company called Mercury Interactive and that changed my life. I spent eight years there, half the time in pre-sales, half the time in product management. Um, and, and honestly, it was my, my time in pre-sales was pretty cool. I ended up working with some of their strategic accounts or big accounts. And so they would, they wanted to work with us on like a three-year roadmap with Mercury. And so it would be like, Hey, I'm trying to offshore all my testing to India. Like what's the plan over three years. And so I ended up working really, really closely with the product team. Um, and as a result, got asked to join the product organization and talk about another pivot point of my life. That's when I found my calling, which is, you know, uh, finding gaps, finding problems that people have and solving them with software. And so that was, you know, another big turning point in my life. And so, you know, Mercury ends up getting acquired by HP. 
my boss calls me up and says, Hey, you know, HP has this really kind of broken data center automation business. They've acquired all these companies just to date, to date myself. This is when virtualization is like the hottest technology in the data center. <laughs> um, and so as a result, people were trying to automate like deployment. They needed to actually have software to do automation that they hadn't needed to before. Um, and so I took over this, my boss was like, Hey, it'll be great for you. Like you're, you're a visionary, but it's also, it's like, everyone's focused on it. It'll be great for your career. Um, and so I, I decided to do it. I was actually quite scared because I didn't, you know, I had, I was in pre-sales at Mercury and so right. I needed products and I could be a PM. And so I thought, well, you're going to find out if you're a really good product person, if you can do product on this business that you don't know anything about, you'll be fine. And I took it over and two weeks in, I basically just told them, look, you should either shut this business down or go acquire the number one and the number two player in the market. So we had 200 developers, how much money we were spending, I don't even remember, to have number five place in the market. And I went to the leadership team and said, guys, I'm confused. The top three players, Opsware, BladeLogic, IBM, have 80% of the market. We're not going to disrupt this market. Like, we're not going to go from 3% to 60%. Like, we're not an innovative company. So, either we don't need to be in this market, we should just shut it all down and put our money into markets we need to own. Or if we need to be in this market, then we should go buy the number one or number two player and put it in the channel. Uh, and that turned into the acquisition of Opsware, which was Mark and Ben's uh, last company. And that became another, you know, giant pivot point to my life. So, you know, ultimately HP decided we need to own this. Um, we and BMC were bidding on the deal and we got Opsware. And so- And, and what was your involvement? Because when you say pre-sales and product, like usually that person's not necessarily right in the room mm. with these conversations. Like where was your intersection, like literally? I mean, I drove the whole business case for doing the deal. That's um, incredible. I, I was actually, when we were deciding if it was Opsware or Blade Logic, we voted and I was a deciding vote that it would be Opsware versus Blade Logic. Um, I was in the, I was not, I did not do the negotiations, but, you know, Corp Dev does that. But uh, I was in the hot, locked, sweaty room writing the press releases. I did, there's probably, if you Google it, I did all the interviews with the heads of people at HP, backing them up on like why it was the right decision. So, I mean, no Michelle, no, no M&A from HP probably. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. And then you know, Ben joins HP. So, so basically in that deal, uh, Mark Andreessen joins the board of HP. Ben Horowitz takes over the, as the head of HP software and became my boss. And I'll never forget the first time I met him, I walk into his office and he has all these boxers on the wall and I'm a boxing, huge boxing fan. And uh, nobody likes boxing anymore. And I walk in and, you know, we start talking about, uh, I don't even remember which boxer it was, it was on the wall. But um, we literally talked, I was supposed to talk, have an hour one-on-one -on -one with him to like get to know my new boss. And we talked boxing for like 45 minutes. And you're like, time's up. We've just been the whole time talking boxing. And, and uh, he later told me, Michelle, uh, you know, I've had those pictures up for, you know, 10 years in this office. And every single person who's ever wanted something from me has walked to those office and tried to talk to me about boxing. And he said, you were one of the few people who wasn't full of shit. Uh, and I, and we just, we just became, you know, incredible friends. He's become a great mentor of my life. And he said to me later, he, he was my boss. He said, you know, like you're a crazy inventor. What are you doing at, um, at HP? Like you should be in a startup. And I was just, or you should like found your own company. And I told him, you know, I'm not ready. Like I've never worked in a startup. What the heck do I know about that? Yeah. Um, but no, he's become a giant uh, force in my life. And of course, you know, uh, you know, Andreessen Horowitz invested in Aptio, which is, you know, and that's how you, is that how you ended up at Aptio? A hundred percent. Yeah. I wow, told Ben, Hey, who should I go cool. talk to? I, I was ready to leave HP. 
and I uh, talked to a couple of companies he was invested in. Kind of funny, actually, every company that I talked to, it was all A's, Aptio, <laughs> uh, Astrodata, and Actifio. Um, Actifio's IPO'd, Aptio's IPO'd, and got picked up by private equity, Astrodata got acquired. So I, that was a good crop that I, that I was talking to about a product role. Um, but I knew Sonny, Sonny, the CEO of yeah. Aptio had worked at Mercury. And so I, I ended up. Well, and Aptio is such a great success story. I didn't realize that you started there so early. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I helped invent that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. And so what were some of your key takeaways as far as your personal successes and failures while you were at Aptio? Oh my God. Um, Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, look, it was, um, it was such an incredible opportunity to build a company from the ground up. So, you know, Sonny, you know, was a serial entrepreneur and watching the company get built, you know, when do you hire salespeople? How do you make them successful? How do you refine your go-to-market persona? When do you hire a CMO? You know, what an incredible opportunity to be part of that and see him think through those questions uh, with us as a leadership team. And so, I mean, almost every day there's things that I saw him do or that I was part of thinking through that come up in running user mind that I just feel incredibly blessed to have kind of been through, you know, during my time at Aptio. And so I would just say like, you know, that was a unique kind of once in a lifetime life experience. I think it also kind of cemented my passion for category creation. So, you know, I am, it's a pretty rare, when I started my job in product, it's pretty rare to do both product management and product marketing nowadays. You know, most companies separate those functions. And when I and I started at Mercury, I did both. And I, I think I'm a rare product person in that I'm good at both. I am I can position and sell and train salespeople and think about, you know, category positioning. And I have a huge passion for feature design and kind of product strategy. Um, and you know, that is a skill set that lends itself to category creation. And so I think you know, Aptio also cemented that that's my life. That's what I do. You know, I, I think there are people who um, kind of find a persona, they love security or they love, you know, monitoring and they stay in the same business and they continually reinvent it. It's not like they're doing the same thing, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have come to love, you know, in testing, it was like the testing team. And then, you know, Opsware was talk, selling to the ops team and the, you know, the, the, the team that owned the data center and, you know, Aptio was kind of selling to the CIO and the finance team within the CIO. I love the challenge of a new persona. I just enjoy, I enjoy learning a new motion. I enjoy, I love the idea of creating something that completely didn't exist from scratch. And uh, it's funny, years after I left Aptio, I was, I went to my first Andreessen event where I did my first public demo of UserMind. And um, I get on a bus from Wherever I was staying, the hotel must have been offsite. This is um, Carol. I know where is it? Some, some. It's like a famous conference center in Marin. So they were they were doing this big event up there. Anyways, I was in, I was at a hotel taking a bus to the conference center. I get in. There's two people in front of me talking about they just came from the TBM conference, the Aptio mm-hmm. conference. And I said, Oh my God! Like, tell me about it. You guys just were there, and like, what do you do? And they're they they're like TBM practitioners. Uh, and I said, you know, I like helped invent that idea. Like I came up, helped come up with that category name and like helped invent the pitch. And I mean, how, how cool that is to like years later. Oh my God. There's thousands huge. of people like doing yeah. this thing that you using you, your, yeah. That's you, like, you just made up um, your brainchild. That's amazing. And so as far as the cultures, I mean, you've worked at some yeah. really big companies. Now you've got the startup experience. Yeah. 
which of those, um, I guess, values and mission-driven things have shaped kind of how you've led as a CEO at UserMind? Because, yeah. so, you know, you people that work at Amazon are like, I took this from Amazon or I took that and these things I ditched. <laughs> yeah, I would say, look, Mercury was the most incredible culture I was ever a part of. Um, you know, it was uh, it was an Israeli company, but man, was it was just relentlessly customer focused. I mean, every single you know, every day you woke up at Mercury trying to figure out how to win and how to make the customer successful and therefore win and have the best product for the customer and therefore win. Um, and so I think I, um, you know, things I learned from Mercury is just this complete transparency. Um, you know, sharing, I think really smart people, the more context you give them, the more effective they are. You know, I, I really admired at Mercury, we had this new, this idea that bad news should go up, which is very counterintuitive. You know, in big companies, bad news does not go anywhere. And Mercury really, really created a culture where it was rewarded to go say to your boss, this is not working, help me solve it. Uh, and I've just admired that for my whole life. I hope I'm creating a culture where that's the, that would be true at user. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a like channel called shit gone wrong. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, if I find out about shit gone wrong and it's not in, like it hasn't been emailed to me in advance, yeah. then that's going to be a bummer because I care deeply, you know, yeah, of course, as the all, CEO, you care yeah. deeply. Yeah. And look, you know, Mercury, I was there from 200 people through 3000. I remember one sales kickoff, uh, our CEO, Amnon said, Two things. He said, one, the main enemy of Mercury is mediocrity, which I thought was incredible. And the second thing he said is, as companies get get bigger, like leaders get stupider. Not that they're stupid people; they are just less connected to the day to day because there's so many more layers between them. You know, when you're when you're Michelle and you're eight developers, and I'm doing every meeting with every customer, I know everything. And when you're even, you know, sixty people, I'm not in every meeting. I can't know every single interaction. And so. Right. I was just always so impressed with the culture of, you know, surface issues. Um, and honestly, you know, if I hadn't worked there, I, I, that was the culture perfect for me. You know, I oh, was the person amazing. coming and saying, here's the challenges, here's the opportunities. We should be doing this. We should be doing that. I can't even imagine Michelle being promoted and like given all these opportunities in a different culture. Like I yeah. was, my life success is such a unique part of landing there and, and finding a home where, my skills were not only rewarded, but like that was a core part of the culture to be that way. So, right. So that um, one's a good one. And so Aptio brought you yeah. to Seattle, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. And you've decided to stay here. Um, did you just yeah. leave Aptio because you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur and start your own thing? Or was there um, like, I need to stop so that I can find space to figure out what I want to do next? No, I mean, I, you know, I was there for, I was with them for three and a half years and um, it was, you know, wildly successful. And I think we were hitting the point where we were kind of getting to the next chapter of product strategy. And Sunny and I just really weren't on the same page as to like what that was, you know, as we thought about that. And I just, you know, I, for better or for worse, I'm kind of a one or a zero. I'm not really able to execute plans. I'm not super bought into. Um, and, you know, to their credit, they're, they wanted me to stay so badly. And they were like, do this, you know, be an evangelist, do all those other things. And I was just kind of like, nope, I'm kind of done. Like I'm, I'm, um, it's, it's one of the things about myself that I, and I remember Ben called me and said, you know, God, you know, you thinking about staying? And I said, uh, I don't know what I should do. And he said, Michelle, you'd be a force for evil. Like you only know how to do one thing, which is like build product. Um, and so I was like, you know what? You're hundred percent right. 
uh, and so I, you know, I think it was just like the right time. Um, yeah. And that's, and honestly, it's funny. People talk about departures and startups. Like it, there are, there are normal chapters. Like I look back and I feel like, you know, and Sonny and I have hung out and chatted since, and I love the guy, you know, I have huge respect for what he's built, but like not every employee in a startup is there for the whole run. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. So it was just the right time. And I had yeah. no idea. I didn't know what I was going to do. I literally was like, um, I remember I took a couple months and like, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to do another VP of product role or if I wanted to found. And so I literally just did a bunch of networking, which I'd never done in my life. And I, and I was like super passionate about GitHub. I really wanted to go and like run product at GitHub and like help them go from being a dev product to like a full lifecycle platform. And I'll never forget my call because, you know, Andreessen was invested in GitHub. I talked to the COO and he was just like, we don't have product people. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we don't even know. Like we're developers. We like build for ourselves. And I was like, dude, uh, uh, probably at some point you should have some product people, but it was like the yeah. shortest interview I've ever had. He hey, talked like, to me, and next. He talked to me for like 13 minutes and like just had zero interest that he met, you know, a great product mind in the enterprise. Yeah. And like what I, my passion, he had zero interest. So I had a bunch of those kind of in, interactions, but you know, at the end of the day, I kind of didn't, it was funny. I, I only met a couple of CEOs who I really, really thought I could work for. Mm-hmm. And I kind of took stock a couple months in and I was just like, what is going on? You know, why, why is this? And kind of at the end of the day, I netted it out that um, I kind of thought I was smarter than all these other CEOs. And, you know, Ben told me, you know, one day you're going to wake up and realize you can't work for anyone. And I thought, well, shit, I don't think I should work for someone. Not that I even, right. not, not that I couldn't if I found the right person, but wow, what a rare animal is it that I'm going to go in yeah. and really be able to work for them and, and, and do good for them. Because if right. I, I sign up, it's my job to like deliver their vision. It's not, yes. you know, it's not my opinion. So yeah. So, the, the, so the, chick, the chicken and egg part of it is I know I want to found a company. I know I'm going to do this. And then you go and try to like whiteboard and think through ideas or you had yeah. an idea. No, no ideas. No ideas. So, so walk me through the idea of user mind. Well, I, I, my process is very structured. There's always a process. I basically think that ideas come out of change. And so I wrote down a list of things I thought were changing, all of which ended up in user mind. And and they all sound obvious now, but seven years ago, they weren't that obvious. And so it started with basically, I think every uh, front office function is going to be digitized. Sales, marketing, HR, customer service, it's all gonna become completely software powered. Awesome. Uh, those teams hate IT. They're not gonna let IT build anything. They're gonna go buy all that software from SaaS companies. They're going to buy it all subscription. It'll all have APIs and they're going to form a little tech team to manage it. Uh, and so um, it turns out that's true. Marketing operations, sales operations, call center operations, like all these ops teams became the like shadow IT team for those teams. And I thought no one's building software for these people. I'm going to go interview them. And so over four months, I interviewed about 300 uh, people in those functions um, and I found a couple ideas, but the two that are probably most interesting, one that I didn't do. So it was very obvious to me that all the customer data was disconnected and there'd be a huge market, uh, which is turned into the CDP market, um, customer data platform market. Um, and locally in parity, uh, you know, plays in that space. But I looked at Segment, uh, who I thought was the, just like they were going to win. Um, and they just got picked up by Twilio, obviously. And so I thought, well, that idea is too obvious. Um, and so I thought, well, what happens if customer data gets put in one place, 
Well, and there's a big gap between the data platform and the channels. And so somebody should go build an orchestration engine that basically does real-time decisioning. Like the future is that someone's gonna monitor cross team, cross channel and make it better. And so that, that was the idea that kind of sparked user mind. Um, and, and you were a solo or you found a co-founder? How'd you I go found about? A co-founder. Yeah, I, I was a super, I mean, I, I, I'm not a technologist. So I thought, well, I mean, everything I read said like, it is really hard to do it alone. And so I went kind of through my network. Um, so Sonny's CTO had worked for a guy who was a founder who worked, who like sold his company to Mercury. And so I just got recommendations from people. That's and, awesome. And what about the funding? How did you, did you bootstrap the, it in the beginning or how did you fund we all each, the research? Well, we put in 30 grand um, to build up, I hired a developer to build a little prototype. Um, and then I, I mean, then I went and raised around, but my, my like fundraising is like not reproducible. I, I, uh, we put up a web page and I got inbound from a firm called CRV who tracks Mercury people and like had, it was like keeping an eye on all of us. And, you know, they basically put a convertible note down. We pitched them and like literally in five days I had, you know, I don't even remember $2 million. Wow. And then I called Ben and I'm like, well, shit, dude, I can't take money from somebody else. And so you know, long and the short of it is I, we raised like $7.6 million on a prototype, which is oh literally my God. not a reproducible. Wow. Yeah. Mind, mind blowing, right? Yeah. yeah. So. And so did you have any, um, uh, I guess, I'm guessing the answer is no, but did you ever have any feeling of kind of imposter syndrome in oh those early God, days? Oh my God, are you kidding? Yeah. They like wrote me this check and then I'm, I, I remember telling Ben. You're like, well, now what the hell do I do? <laughs> I remember telling Ben for the first two years, I couldn't sleep at night because I took your money and I don't even know if it's a good idea. And I remember him telling me it was so funny. I think I closed my first big enterprise deal and he was like, I always, why didn't you ask me? I always knew it was a good idea. What are you talking about? Uh, oh my God. Well, I didn't, I was like very much imposter syndrome, you know, like, um, like why did people give me this money? I, I, but, you know, also I had no idea what being a CEO was like, you know, I, yeah. I didn't even know what my job was. I'm like, you know, do I micromanage? Do I have hands off? Like, I feel like you read all this, um, on some level goodness about like the HubSpot culture code and, you know, all these, like how to build this great culture. But at the end of the day, all that's an output to like building a team that builds a product. And so I just don't even like, I think for two years, I had no idea even what my job was and like, what you know, and honestly, how terrible that is to say, like I founded my company, you know, I guess early forties and I didn't know what I was doing after many, many years in enterprise. I think that's so common. Yeah. So this is why I think serial founders are so much more effective. Like if you start at 23 and you fail your first couple of times, and then you make it like even better, but yes, know, there's just something about, you know, the learning curve of being a CEO, like no, there's no job description. No one tells you how to do it. So it probably took me two years to even have a clue what I thought my role was. And I remember, um, you know, my co-founder ended up leaving the company. I remember that I was like, I am now a CEO. Like I, now I'm a CEO. And what's yeah. that experience, the co-founder leaving? So there's a gap there. So you just replace the person with a tech leader. I went and got a part-time CTO and a head of engineering. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, look, I think uh, it's been, you know, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. I mean, yeah. How has it been as far as, you know, many CEOs talk a lot about mental health and the drain emotionally on, <laughs> on what it's like, especially when you say you're like sleep deprived the first couple of years. Well, I remember, um, so first of all, I'm a huge advocate of therapy. I've been in therapy since like the second year of founding my company. I remember 
uh, I would say two things. I wasn't sleeping. I was having back pain. I remember going home. So I, I got an apartment like a block from my office. I thought I'm a simple oh, my life, right? I'm going to like eliminate all these distractions, try to be successful. And I remember going home and playing video games. And for anyone who knows me, like I'm the opposite. I'm live big, be outside, like play hard. I'm not a, ch- I'm like a, not a escape, you know, like play video yeah. person. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, what is wrong with me? And so I go to the doctor and I'm like, my back hurts and I can't sleep. And they give me some medications, a sleep medication. And I go home and I Google it. It's a former antidepressant, but they turn, now it's prescribed for sleep aid. I was just like horrified. So I, and literally this is how, this is where, I mean, I don't know who's religious or not, but this is where I believe in God. So like literally two days later, I meet a friend for a drink and she keeps talking to me and she's like, Dr. Grace this and Dr. Grace that. And I'm like, who is this Dr. Grace? Because everything after Dr. Grace is like the smartest thing I've ever heard. So it's her therapist. And so I was like, this is a God moment telling me I don't need, I don't want to take an antidepressant. I don't need help to sleep. I need to go talk to somebody and get help. I I am not happy. And I remember going to my therapist and saying like, so that started my journey on therapy. Like, even just learning to name how I, like, I don't think I ever realized in my childhood, I wasn't given the words for emotions. I wouldn't even have told you, I knew what I was feeling. You know, I kind of compartmentalized and, and, and kind of held down a lot of my emotion. Uh, and I, I, I like have to say like being a founder for, in seven years, I've grown more as a human being than in my whole life put together. And some of it is you realize that like, you can escape your, your own trauma and your own issues when they only impact you. But when you're the CEO and like, when it hurts other people or like it creates blind spots, you just feel like you have to solve that stuff. So, totally. um, you know, I think in that sense, uh, you know, that, that early fear and kind of like uncertainty of user mind was a huge opportunity to kind of like find myself and like, yeah, not that I and, take a, and take accountability versus just try yeah. to like tuck yeah. it under the rug. That's a more and positive s- way to say it, to own it. To like own, really it. own it and try to figure out how to come yeah. from a place of strength in those yeah. scenarios versus like not. So, I mean, it's been an incredible. I always say to people, like, even if the company failed, it's been the greatest choice of my life to found. Oh, that's amazing. And so yeah. how, how would you describe your, I mean, all of these lessons, the, the work experience, the Harvard, I mean, just all of it, your whole story kind of creates who you are today. So how yeah. would you describe your leadership style today? Oh, I mean, I think, um, you know, the number one reason people uh, work with me and for me is I am an incredibly authentic and real human being. Um, and I think that means like creating room for failure, like being really open about the things I missed on the company or that I'm struggling with. Um, but it also means being unafraid to like push hard and have a vision and be unapologetic to try to like drive for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more comfortable I've gotten as myself, the easier that's been to like just be, be who I am and, and feel comfortable about it. I also think that it's changed me a lot in that I think when I was earlier in my career, you know, perfection and a fear of failure can really motivate you to, um, if you're unforgiving to yourself, you're unforgiving to other people. Uh, and so I would say like earlier in my career, I wouldn't say I was like a taskmaster, but I was like very- an micromanagey. Uh, no, just very intolerant. Like I demanded perfection and I drove it out of people and people who worked for me would say they came out of it like 10, knowing like they could do 10 X more than they ever thought they could do. Um, but I wasn't particularly interested in being super like warm, fuzzy or kind about it. 
Um, and I, I think I've just like, there's something that's just shifted for me and it's not, I think I'm probably, I, I have the same high expectations or close, maybe not. Quite what a great, what a great combo meal though. And you're like, I'm, I'm demanding, but I'm also empathetic. Yeah. I think I just have so much more, both patience for myself and therefore patience for other people. But like, honestly, often it's not a problem of intent. You know, there's like trying to diagnose why things are working or not working is not often as simple as I think I made it out to be earlier in my life. So interesting. Uh, you know, honestly, you're never done learning how to lead yeah. and manage. I, um, I feel like every time I feel comfortable, the company gets bigger. And then I'm like, well, yeah. shit, I don't know how to lead. Like there's all these new problems. So yeah, totally. Um, more people, more problems. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've raised some significant money. Um, and obviously with that comes board members. How do you choose your board members? And I guess what's the process? How important is that to vet the right ones? Ultimately, what you want in the board, I think, is like three core things. People who can help you build the company and raise more money. Um, people who can help you operate the company and give you direct feedback on things you need to hear, whether it's like, you know, hiring people or thinking about scale. Um, and, and so that's some combination of individual experience they bring to you, but also your board dynamics that you create. Um, mm -hmm. And then the third thing is like, how much work can a board member do for you outside the board? meeting, you know, like everybody wants to meet Ben Horowitz. So, you know, Ben, Ben can literally close people for me and, you know, help me get intros and get meetings. And so a lot of, a lot of the impact of a board member is felt outside the pure. For sure. The strategy of it alone, just yeah, like and helping you build the company. So, you know, I would say, look, um, you know, I think there's some there, like, if you're thinking about building a board, some of it is, you definitely want to get heavy hitters because people want to, you know, Andreessen, Sequoia, Benchmark, Excel. That's that's as much about fundraising as it is about the board member. But I think it makes it easier to build your company. Customers want to buy from you. Like there's a lot of value if you can get to that top tier VC money. It gives you a lot of blessing. Yeah. Well, it's like um, getting it's like getting Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> you I mean, got it all. I think there's some goal to have a combo of like really experienced board members and less experienced board members, experienced board members give you a lot of value in the board meeting. Sometimes less experienced board meetings, work, board members work harder for you outside the board meeting. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, I think you want a diverse board. You're, you're trying to bring different viewpoints that help you build the company. But at some point, you know, it's a little bit like art and science. There's some combo of like firm and partner. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, look, if I could, you know, if, I, if I've learned anything and I was doing it over again, I think a lot of people invested in UserMind because they believed in me as a founder. If I was doing it over again, I think I would bias more to people who believe in the market. Um, I didn't, not that that's a good or a bad thing. It's just, I think that, you know, if I look at my board, it's more people who believe in me than have expertise in my market. In market so if, I was, yeah. if I was thinking about doing it over again, I probably would have tried to find a VC with deep experience in my space where they right. could be like, hey, we've seen this five other times in our Yeah, portfolio. here's the playbook. Here's what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, so that'd probably be, if I was doing it again, a thing I would tell, you know, younger Michelle is like, that would be a, a you know, a valuable lens to put on right. the that I didn't. Right. Um, and so what's your long-term goal with UserMind? Like where... Where will you be like, I feel like I kicked ass and I'm super successful? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's all relative. I mean, number one, you know, I, seven years in, we've created a category. We're a leader. There's a Forrester wave. It's called Journey Orchestration. We're the leader. By the way, Adobe released a product called Journey Orchestration. So like some giant company copied my idea and tried to rip it off. 
Um, you know, I would say like there, you know, there was a point, a question for me for a long time, like, was I right? Is the category real? Is the idea good? You know, I think we've checked that box. Um, you know, like, can you take it all the way to going IPO? Like, I think for me, it's not, I've never been motivated by money. It's like, how big a company can we build where we feel really good about what we're doing for customers, where we feel it has in tr tremendous integrity. Um, and I always say to people that um, the thing you can't, decide or predict is like if the customer decides they want to buy it from a bigger company as part of a larger suite, then, you know, I'd rather land it and make my customers and companies successful. Right. Um, and so I think, look, you know, there's early in the life of a company, you never know if you have anything, like, can you get to a couple million in revenue? Is your idea any good? Do people even want it? I feel incredibly blessed that we've like checked all those boxes, like 1% of startups actually have a yes to all those things and we've gotten there and maybe even less get to like leadership in a category. So that's pretty incredible. Um, and now I think it's really like, I want to build a great team. I want to make our customers wildly successful. It's enjoyable to like try to grow the company. And, you know, is that, is that like, you know, box as an outcome or is that, you know, becoming part of a larger company? Like, honestly, that's less important to me. I always say to people, the most important thing is that it has integrity that everybody who came to work at UserMind said, hey, I came out of it a better person. I learned a ton. I grew a ton. I hope that every customer that bet on me is like, that was a good decision. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you, I don't see a lot of resumes coming out of there. You're doing something right. As a person who's doing recruiting, I'm like, I'm not seeing a lot of UserMind candidates come across oh, our desk. And anyone that, I, anyone that I do know that's worked there has had nothing but great things to say about you. And, and just we overlap a little bit in the community. Everybody thinks the world of you. And I'm super honored to have you on the podcast. Um, but I do have one final question for you, which I ask everyone. And it's just yeah. your, ulti your ultimate fuel. Like yeah. what, what fuels you, gets you out of bed in the morning? I don't know. I, I guess I just, uh, I think life is short and um, I just love living. Like carpe diem, live it as big as you can, you know, suck the marrow out of life, whether it's like, hike every weekend, get out of the mountains, work as hard as you can, love as hard as you can, you know, touch as many lives as you can. I'm always say to people like the meaning of my life is the people whose lives I've touched. And my hope is that the people who work with me or the customers like see more as possible, you know, that the employees walk away believing they can do more. They have more skills than when they started. Uh, the customers feel like they were seen. Um, but I think that's the meaning of life. So I just, I guess I just want to like make as big a footprint as I can while I'm here and have as much fun as I can along the way doing it. Um, I love it. It sounds like you are. And I can't wait to hear about your, your climbs. Those are pretty badass too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad to see you. Thank you again for being on the podcast. All right, Shauna. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.